Delighted that you're here, and I hope you've got your Bible with you and are eager to take that and study with us in our study tonight. One of the things, one of the principles that is lacking in our society is the principle of personal responsibility. By personal responsibility, we simply mean by that that you take on your own responsibilities. Whatever is given to you as a responsibility, you take that and you own it and you deal with that. It means simply doing for yourself and not expecting others to do what you can do for yourself. That's personal responsibility. Personal responsibility also means accepting blame and giving no excuses or pointing your finger and blaming others for what you have done or failed to do. And personal uh, responsibility has to do with accountability, that you are seeking to be accountable for your own actions. Accepting re responsibility personally is not always an easy task. But when we do, we will deal with things that we've either left undone or we also will do things that we have left for others to be doing, and we will then take responsibility and do that for ourselves. Eleanor Roosevelt said that remember always that you not only have the right to be an individual, you have an obligation to be one. I like that. You have the obligation to be yourself and to take your responsibilities, what she's saying. Theodore Roosevelt said if you kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit down for a month. And I think he's probably right about that. Let's talk about this evening, personal responsibility, taking on your own responsibilities. We're going to list a number of things that is your responsibility and that we are to own that and we are to take responsibility for those. So let's begin. Personal responsibility means that I take responsibility for my own sin. I take responsibility for my own sin. Others may lead us to sin, Meaning by that, they may influence us or they may encourage us to commit sin, but they are not responsible for our sin. Let's look at Matthew chapter 18 and in verse 6. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 6, that whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him that a millstone were hung around his neck and that he were drowned in the depths of the sea. What do I learn from that? It's possible that one person could influence another person to commit sin, but that doesn't say that they are responsible for the sin. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians, if you will, chapter 8. This is in the context of eating of meat that has been sacrificed unto idols. Nothing wrong with that within itself, but it's possible you could eat that meat and encourage someone else to do something in violation of their conscience. For if anyone sees, I'm reading at verse 10, you who have knowledge eating in the idol's temple, will he not with Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? In other words, you've encouraged him to do what he thinks is wrong. Verse 12, that when you thus sin against your brethren, you wound the weak, uh, their weak conscience and you sin against Christ. So what am I learning from that? It's possible to influence someone else to sin, but that doesn't mean that you are responsible for the sin. Someone talks about being influenced by the society around us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the camps of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sets in the seat of the scornful. And that's showing a progression into sin that we're influenced by those that we don't talk to, those that we associate with. They can encourage us to commit sin. With that in mind, let's go further and to suggest that we cannot blame others for our sin. It's a choice. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. 
You remember in Romans 6, the argument is being made that we're not to continue in sin, that, that grace may abound. I want you to notice down at verse 12, as his whole argument in the chapter is don't continue in sin, and you have a choice in the matter. Verse 12, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you may obey its lust. You can stop it, you are responsible. Drop down to verse 14, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. And so sin cannot, it should not reign in your body. You are to have control of that. We are responsible. It's a choice. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 10 and in verse 13. We learn from 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. And God will with each temptation provide a way to escape. So in that temptation, I'm not forced to sin, but there is indeed a way to escape. That tells me that each person is responsible. Let's go to Romans, the fifth chapter. And I want you to notice in Romans chapter 5 that we pay a price ourselves for sin. What do I mean by that? There is a price that we pay. Notice at verse 12, we pay the price of death or separation from God. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and death spread to all men because all have sinned. So sin brings death, separation from God. Jump over to chapter 6 in verse 23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And James 1.15 says essentially the same thing. When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Let's notice in 1 John chapter 1, in verse, chapter 2 and in verse 1, John says, I'm writing unto you that you might not sin. In other words, sin was a prohibition. In other words, we have a choice. But let's go further. We're still developing the idea that you take responsibility for your own sin. Others may lead and encourage you can't blame others, but others can't take responsibility for your sin. In other words, someone else cannot come along and take responsibility that I'll bear the blame for your sin. It's your sin. Family can't bear that responsibility. Let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel 18 is the passage that talks about the soul that sins, it shall die. Look at verse 20. This is mentioned in verse 4, but I want to focus at verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. In other words, each person bears responsibility for himself. The family cannot bear responsibility. We'll say more about that a little bit later. 1 John 3 and verse 4 tells me what sin is, and what I'm learning from that is that you and not they are the ones that transgress. So if you've committed sin, it's not your family that transgressed, it is you that transgressed. Now, let's make some application of all of that principle by simply suggesting that all too often we're not willing to accept our own responsibility for sin. What, what do we mean by that? Well, we blame others. We blame others in this regard. We may tell someone, you made me do thus and so. Your actions called me to lose my temper. I wouldn't have lost my temper had it not been for you. You're the one that caused me to commit this sin. And so I'm blaming others for the sin. Or I wouldn't have done that, but I did it because he or she did what they did. I would not have committed the sin. I wouldn't be negligent were it not for what they may be doing. Parents often want to take responsibility. Mates take responsibility and try to cover for their family members. They may tell them, you know what? What you did was not wrong. You've not done anything wrong, even though they violated the law of God. They may encourage them, saying, you haven't done anything wrong. They're trying to take responsibility. 
Or quite often some family members will defend their family by saying the reason that he did thus and so or she did not do this or that is because, and here is the defense, and here is the reason. Or someone hurt their feelings and that's why they haven't come to church or that may be why they're doing what they're doing. Someone did them wrong. They bear responsibility. So what am I learning? I'm learning that personal responsibility means you bear responsibility for your own sin. But furthermore, you bear personal responsibility for your own obedience, your own submission to the will. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and in verse 40. We need to take care of our own salvation. And Peter in preaching in Acts chapter 2 in verse 40 said, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. In other words, you have the responsibility to respond to this message that has just been preached. You bear that responsibility. Now we'll notice in every case of conversion, including this one through which we have turned in Acts chapter 2, that in every case of conversion, the, act, the decision to act was left to each person. It wasn't the minister or the preacher that made that decision for them. It wasn't a family member that made that decision for them. Each person made that decision for themselves. Notice in Acts 2.41, after Peter had said, save yourselves, the text says that they that gladly received the word were baptized. Now, some didn't gladly receive the word, but those that did gladly receive the word, they were baptized. And they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Well, notice in the case of the Ethiopian treasurer in Acts 8 and verse 36, it was he who said, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? He made that decision. I want to submit to the plan that I've just heard. I want to become obedient to that plan. Well, in Acts chapter 16, the, treasure, the uh, jailer in Acts 16, that in the same hour of the night, he took them and he washed their stripes and he was baptized. He made the decision to show his repentance. He made the decision that he wanted to submit to baptism and therefore he was responsible. No one can do that for you, nor can anyone force you to do that. Parents cannot force you to obey the gospel. Your mate cannot force you to obey the gospel. The preacher or Bible class teacher cannot force you to obey the gospel. You bear responsibility for your own obedience. But here's something else. You bear personal responsibility for your own faith. Not only your own sin, your own obedience, but also your own faith. Now, true faith comes from the Word of God itself. We well recognize a passage in Romans chapter 10, if you'll turn there. In Romans chapter 10 and in verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's how faith is gained. That's how faith is built. That is how faith is maintained. Faith comes from the word. That's true faith. I want you to notice also in John chapter 17 and in verse 20, as Jesus is praying for his disciples, he says at verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe on me through their word. How did they become believers? It was through the word. That's how faith is induced. That's how faith is built. And that is how faith is maintained. Let's go back to the book of Acts, if you will. Go to Acts chapter 15. This is where Peter in Acts 15 and in verse 7 is defending the case of, of, uh, the case of Cornelius and uh, defending that one could be saved without being circumcised. And he said... Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles, notice this, should hear the word of the gospel and believe. How did they become believers? True faith comes from the word. But let's move on. Let's consider that faith cannot be inherited nor can faith be borrowed. Parents can teach in God, but they can't give us faith. 
We read in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5 that Timothy had faith that he had learned from his mother and from his grandmother. We will recognize that parents can guide and they can teach, but they can't give us faith. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 15. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 15, we need to know why we believe what we believe. The text says in verse 15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be always ready to give a defense, an apology. Apologetics is the idea. To everyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. So when someone asks, why do you believe that God is? Why do you believe the Bible to be the word of God? Why do you believe it to be inspired? Why do you believe the Bible to teach? Add whatever they may ask you about. Be ready to give a reason why you believe what you believe. And notice this carefully. The question is not ever, what do we believe about that? But the question is, what do I believe about that? When someone comes to the preacher, one of the elders, and asks, what do we believe about instrumental music? What do we believe about the Lord's Supper? What do we? The question isn't, what do we believe? The question is, what do you believe? What do I believe? Do I believe what's revealed in the scriptures? Is my faith indeed real? Now let's talk about some consequences to whether I own my faith or not. If you have your own faith, it'll stand the test. Let's go to 1 Peter. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 7, your faith is going to be tested. And that will tell us of the genuineness of faith, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, if your faith is real and you have your own faith, it'll stand the test. But if you have the kind of faith that is living off of the faith of your parents or your mate's faith or your friend's faith, and you only believe that because that's what your parents believe or your mate believes or your friend believes, then your faith is not going to stand the chance. You have no faith at all. And then when that faith is put under pressure, that faith gives way. And so the question is, do I have my own faith? You bear responsibility for your own faith. Now, what else do we bear responsibility for? My own sin, my own obedience, my own faith, but also my own relationship. We bear responsibility for our own relationship. And what do we mean by that? Well, someone will live on the relationship and the reputation of others that they are around. How so? Sometimes we want to live on the reputation of the family. In other words, all of my family have been strong Christians. My parents are Christians, my grandparents are Christians, my great-grandparents are Christians, and therefore that means I'm faithful too. And so they're living on the reputation of family. Some want to live on the reputation of the church where they attend. I attend a strong church, so don't question my faithfulness. Don't question my diligence to the Lord. I attend at a church that has a great reputation for standing strong for the doctrine and doing things in harmony with the will of God. And so we're living off of the reputation of others. Our reputation, our relationship, and our service is to be our own. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 18 again. We do not bear the sin nor the righteousness of the family. We notice that in verse 20. We'll not take the time to read that again. But you remember how that the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, nor the, uh, the father bear the iniquity of the son? The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. What I'm learning from that is we don't bear sin nor the righteousness of the family. Just like if your family's wicked, you don't inherit that. Neither do you inherit their righteousness. We learned that from Ezekiel 18. 
There's not a command that God has given me that anyone can obey for me. There's not a command in the Bible that I say, you know what, this one right here is hard for me to do. Would you do this one for me so I don't have to do that? There's not a command that someone else can do for me. In fact, all instructions directed to me apply to me and they apply to myself. For example, 2 Corinthians 13 and in verse 5, examine yourself whether you're in the faith. Now, you can't do that examination for me. You might examine me to see if you need to encourage me or correct me, but you cannot examine me for myself. That text says I need to do that for myself. Furthermore, James chapter 1 and verse 25 says we're to look into the law of liberty and continue in that. You can't do that for me. You can't look into the law and continue for me. You can do that for yourself, but I can and only do that for myself as well. Look at verse 27, same context. We're to keep oneself unspotted from the world. I can keep myself unspotted, so can you, but we can't do that for each other. Philippians chapter 2 and in verse 12 says, work out your own salvation. Just like working out a math problem, you're working out to its fullest end. You work out your own salvation. I can't work out yours and you cannot work out mine. And so we bear responsibility for our own relationship to God. Furthermore, personal responsibility means that we bear responsibility for our own study of the scriptures. Some want to leave the work of study and the work of working through difficult issues and difficult passages to maybe those who are preachers. Let's let them work through that and tell us what the truth is and we'll just accept whatever they may say. Or we may let the elders make that decision and where would they come out? That's where we'll stand. We'll let them work through those difficult questions. Or maybe some will say, I'll let my pastor do that. Or maybe the theologians, and I'll read from the theologians and what they have to say. So they leave that work of really studying the issues and difficult passages to someone else. Now let's turn to the book of Nehemiah, if you will, chapter 8. You remember in Nehemiah chapter 8 that we see that teachers, that there is a need for someone to help guide us at times. There's a, there's a place for that. Notice in Nehemiah chapter 8, beginning at verse 7. In the days of Nehemiah that Ezra and others, the text says, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8 beginning at verse 7, that they read distinctly from the book, I'm reading at verse 8, in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. There is a time, there is a place for someone to help me to understand. They can guide me and explain things to me. That's exactly what Ezra was doing. That's what these other teachers were doing in Nehemiah chapter 8. In Acts 8 and verse 31, there is a need for someone to guide us. Remember the Ethiopian treasurer riding along in the chariot, reading from Isaiah 53? He did not know whether Isaiah was talking about himself or some other man. And when he was asked, can someone, uh, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I except someone guide me? Someone needs to show me and, and, and explain to me what this text is all about. Well, we read further in Romans chapter 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. And he said, how can they, they call on whom they've not heard, and how shall they hear unless there he be sent, or that, unless there be a preacher? So how can they hear except a preacher be sent and preach the gospel unto them? So all of those passages tell me there's a need for someone to guide us in our study. But we must do our own study in order to see what the truth may be. Let's go to Acts 17 in verse 11. The Bereans searched the scriptures daily whether the things were so. Now Paul had told them it was so. He's speaking by inspiration, but they don't know if it's so until they go back and search through the scrolls and see if what he says Isaiah said is that what, exactly what Isaiah said. 
And he may have quoted from Amos, and they go back and look and see what Amos said in the scrolls to see if that's exactly what he said. And so they searched the scriptures daily. They took personal responsibility for their own study. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge. By the way, that's personal responsibility in that context. There are going to be some who twist and rest the scriptures. They may lead you astray. The way to keep that from happening is not ask the preacher, not ask the elders, not ask the theologian, but you grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. Keep that from happening. You bear responsibility for your own study. Look at 1 John 4 and verse 1. This is written to you just like it is to me. This wasn't written to the preachers, to the elders, to the theologians, to the pastor. This is written to the individual Christian, and the text says, Try the spirits whether they are of God. Someone stands before you and teaches, you have the responsibility to try the spirits whether they are of God. That is, put them to the test and find out if it's true. How do I know? Verse 6 says, if it agrees with what the apostles taught, it is the truth. If it disagrees, it is error. By this we know the spirit of truth and we know the spirit of error. You have the responsibility to make up your own mind on the issues of the day. Someone teaches something on divorce and remarriage. What do you believe about that? What does the scriptures teach? I may tell you what I think and what I believe the scriptures to teach, but you have the responsibility to study that issue for yourself. The same thing on fellowship. The same thing on creation. The same thing on all the issues that may, AD 70 doctrine. You have the responsibility to study that for yourself and come to your own conclusion what the truth may be. Personal responsibility means that I'm responsible for my own worship. Not only am I responsible for my own study, but I'm responsible for my own worship. While we worship together as a congregation, worship is individual. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight, 28, in talking of the Lord's Supper, that's something we do in the assembly in one place, 1 Corinthians 11, the text says, let every man examine himself and so let him eat. You see, your worship in the, observing the Lord's Supper is something you do for yourself. While we do it as a group, you're doing it for yourself. You have to examine yourself. I have to examine myself. I can't examine you and tell whether you're doing it in the right spirit, in the right manner, with the right thoughts. But you know, and the same thing is true with reference to me. 1 Peter 3, 7, it's possible my worship could be hindered. This is talking about the husband treating his wife as the weaker vessel, that your prayers be not hindered. That means we might be worshiping together, but my prayers could be hindered before God. My worship might not be acceptable. Yours may be, and you're sitting right beside me. And mine might not be acceptable. So that tells me that worship is individual, that my worship being acceptable is something that comes from me and you can't worship for me. You cannot do that and I cannot do that for you others. We can't let others do my, our worship for us. What do I mean by that? Let's take singing. Ephesians 5 and verse 19 is a command given to you just like it is to me and to me just like it is to you, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And that's something that we have a responsibility to do. And you may sing out, and you may sing out well, and that doesn't count for my singing. I may sing out however well or how poorly, and that doesn't count for your singing. We are individually responsibility for our own singing. I can't let those who sing better do my singing for me. I can't do that because I'm commanded to sing. Here's something else. Praying. Others may lead, like 1 Corinthians 14, 16 says, that one who leads, that's the idea, and I'm paraphrasing, and how can he that prays in an unknown spirit if one plays in an unknown spirit, how can he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen? In other words, there's one leading and others following. So his words may be my words, and I'm following that, 
but that's not my praying unless I'm following along. So one may lead, but I must follow to be praying. Same passage. I can't let someone else pray for me. I can't decide, you know what, I'm going to leave. Would you pray for me today and do my praying for me so that it's acceptable to God and get my prayer life uh, marked off for Sunday because I want you to do it for me. That doesn't work. Here's something else, the matter of giving. Others may give, they may give more than me, but I have the responsibility to lay by him in store, 1 Corinthians 16. God loves a cheerful giver. That applies to me and it applies to you. I can't do that for you. I can't say, well, I'll give a little more and you don't have to give. Or would you give a little more so I don't have to give? That's an individual responsibility. Furthermore, the Lord's Supper, we've already noted in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let every man examine himself, and so let him eat. That is, I partake of the Lord's Supper for myself. I can't take it for you, nor can you take it for me. Same thing with the Bible study of the, of the Word, Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. Paul preached unto them, I can't listen for you, you can't listen for me. I can't study for you, you can't study for me. Those are things we have to do individually. Personal responsibility we're talking about. We bear responsibility for our own control. We bear responsibility for our own control. If others control us, there is no personal responsibility. If parents control us, I'm not talking about children being controlled and, and disciplined by their parents, but I'm saying if parents make your decisions for you and they're making those those kind of self-discipline questions answered for you. And if your mate's doing that for you and fellow Christians are doing that for you, then you have no personal responsibility. You have no, you're bearing no personal responsibility. So others cannot do that for you. Others can't control our decisions and our actions and our thoughts. We must control ourselves. Let's go to Mark chapter 8. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus is talking about becoming his disciple. And Jesus said, called his disciples unto himself, and he said, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's individual responsibility. Matter of temperance, we must control ourselves. Add to your faith, add to your faith, virtue to virtue knowledge. I can't add to your faith, but you can add to your faith. And one of the things to be added to your faith is self-control, temperance or self-control. We must control ourselves or it's not temperance. Here's what that means. It means I need to take responsibility for my thoughts. I mean, I need to control them. I can't expect you to control that for me. I take responsibility for my words. It means I need to control them. It means I need to take responsibility for my actions. I control them. It means I don't blame others for what I fail to do. That I would have done that, but... And they're the reason to be blamed for that. I don't expect others to do what I can do for myself. Here's something I can do for myself. I don't expect someone else to do that because I'm practicing my own control. Personal responsibility. We bear responsibility for our own providing. For our own providing. What do we mean by that? God expects us to provide for ourselves. Let's go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4. In Ephesians chapter 4, notice at verse 28, Let him that stole still no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. So God expects me to work, that I might have. God expects me to provide for myself. 
2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, If a man won't work, neither should he eat. In other words, that's not my responsibility. He doesn't want to work, but I've got enough that I can give him so he can eat. But he's lazy, but I'm going to provide for him too. The Bible says he needs to provide for himself. If a man won't work, neither should he eat. In Proverbs 6, it says, Go to the ant, verse 6 it said, Thou sluggard. And in verse 8 says, The ant provides for itself. In other words, it's not sitting around waiting for every other kind of insect to provide for it or the other ants to provide, but he provides for himself or she provides for herself, teaching us that we have some responsibility. When that is not possible, family bears responsibility. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. This is a point we talked about recently in, in a Bible study, in Bible class in 1 Timothy chapter 5, but it's a point that's often missed. I want us to look at verse 4, verse 8, verse 16. And that is when I'm not able to provide for myself, family bears responsibility for that. Now let's look at verse 4. 1 Timothy 5 and in verse 4. The text says, But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show piety at home to repay their parents, for that is good and acceptable before God. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying the responsibility doesn't lie on the church, doesn't lie on everyone else. It lies, first of all, on family. And so here's some, someone in need. They need to provide for themselves, but they're not able to do that. The first responsibility lies upon family. Now let's go to verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own. Now we usually cite that in the context that a man needs to provide for his wife and for his children. It's actually, in the, and that's a, a proper application, but it's actually talking about a man providing for his own widow. That is his, his mother, for example. If a man does not provide for his own, he's denied the faith and he's worse than an infidel. Drop down to verse 16. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them, and let not the church be charged that it may relieve them that are widows indeed. What this text says is this family relationship comes first before any church obligation comes into play. It comes a time when the church has to help those who are in need. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 Timothy 5, 16. While we're there at 16, let's go there and, and forego the 1 Corinthians 16 passage. We've already alluded to it. If any man or woman that believes have widows, let them relieve them and let not the church be charged that it, that is the church, may relieve those that are widows indeed. Now, let's notice that others do not owe us. If I have the responsibility providing for myself, others do not owe us. It's not the responsibility of the church to provide what we can provide for ourselves. There are oftentimes people would ask the church to provide something that they themselves could provide. Or they ask the church to take care of a need that that's their responsibility that we just saw in verse 4, in verse 8, and verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's not the responsibility of the government. It's not the responsibility of others. God placed that responsibility upon us. But finally, let's talk about personal responsibility means you bear responsibility for your own judgment. You bear responsibility for your own judgment. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. In Matthew chapter 25, there is obviously a judgment scene. Chapter 24 had ended on the note of answering the question concerning the end of time and the second coming of the Lord. But in Matthew chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all His holy angels with Him, He'll sit on the throne of glory and the nations will be gathered before Him and He'll separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left hand. Now notice without reading the rest of the text, verse 34 says, The king will say to those on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. And he'll tell them why they are so blessed. 
Drop down to verse 41. He'll say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting punishment, prepared for the devil and his angels. There's going to be a separation. That's all I want you to see. There is a judgment day that indeed is coming. Now, when the judgment day comes, each one will give an account for himself. Romans 14 and verse 12 says, Every man will give an account of himself to God. You give an account of yourself, I give an account of myself. 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse 10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in our body, whether it be good or evil. In other words, I'm going to give an account in the day of judgment, and you are going to give an account in the day of judgment, and I cannot give an account for you. I cannot stand there and say, you know what? I was asked to give an account for someone else. I can't sign a sheet of paper and say, would, would you give an account for me in the day of judgment when, when you're asked, what have you failed to do? What have you done? I can't ask you to do that. It wouldn't work. And so what do we learn from personal responsibility? We learn that we bear responsibility for our own sin. You can't push that off on someone else. You bear responsibility. You bear responsibility for your own obedience. You bear responsibility for your own relationship, for your own study of the word, for your own worship and your own control and providing for yourself and your own judgment. If we learn anything tonight, if we walk away with the principle, there's personal responsibility that I need to take responsibility for myself. In all areas of life where God has laid some responsibility, I own that then we've walked away with a principle that'll do as much good the rest of our days. There may be one or more present this evening who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins? Would you acknowledge your faith? Would you put your Lord on in baptism and submit to the waters of baptism that you might become a child of God even this very evening? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?